Hey, I want to tell you guys about another podcast I think you'll love. Deep Cover Mobland is the true story of a high-rolling Chicago lawyer named Robert Cooley who helped the outfit fix cases from traffic tickets to murder. Then he went undercover to take them down. You guys are probably familiar with the murder case he fixed for outfit hitman Harry Aleman. This resulted in Aleman walking from the murder of Billy Logan. After Cooley turned, he testified that he had bribed the judge in Aleman's first trial. The next judge ordered a new trial, and he convicted Aleman of murder. Like the feds, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Jake Halpern got Cooley to talk, and they take listeners on a wild journey into a world of corruption, murder, and mayhem in Chicago. You can listen to Deep Cover Mobland wherever you get your podcast. And on a personal note, I love this podcast, man. I had already listened to their first season about an FBI agent who started working a Midwest motorcycle gang drug case, and he ended up following the string that took down Manuel Noriega. So give it a shot. You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Welcome, all you wiretappers, back here in the studio of Gangland Wire, and, and we've got a special show. A guy that you haven't heard from uh, on the, my podcast for a while, you probably follow him uh, on his own YouTube channel, and that is the in- incomparable, <laughs> the infamous, or is it famous, <laughs> the red-headed uh, uh, sheik of uh, Chicago, Red Wimet himself. Red, welcome. I'm really happy to have you back on the show. Thank you, Gary. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> so you're on, uh, uh, they call it Red Wednesday or Red's Wednesday. Tell, tell my listeners about where they need they can find you if they don't know. I think an awful lot of them do, but tell them how they I find my you. Own, my own YouTube channel, but uh, also um, Adam Flowers has me on what he calls Redness Day. Uh, what happened was uh, Frank Collada on Las Vegas yeah. uh, had passed away. And he needed somebody to actually, and so he said, would you do one with me? And it turned into a thing where he really liked it. So yeah. now every Wednesday, he calls it Redness Day. Redness Day. Now that, that is Adam Flowers, who is from, is he out, he's out in Las Vegas and used to do the show with Frank Culotta. Right. I was out in Las Vegas. I was out there at a book signing and uh, I posted some pictures on Facebook. I saw him. I saw him. You were staying, we stayed at the Bellagio. Oh, I stayed at the Venetian. Venetian, okay. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I saw those pictures. So you can you can find Red all over some of the Facebook channels. He he's a big contributor to Mike Burns' uh, Facebook page of Chicago outfit uh, recent news and Just present news articles <laughs> and articles. Yeah. So and that's a good one. I, I really like Mike. I just saw I went to Chicago a couple months ago and, and met him and. And we went and walked around uh, the uh, uh, the patch, the Grand and Ogden area, and, and uh, I filmed him looking at some of the spaces. And I just haven't got it put up on YouTube yet. He's a good guy. Did you get any pictures of Cozo's place, which we called the spot? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I got him to tell the story about uh, uh, Joy Lombardo and the cops chased him, beat the crap out of him away from Cozo's place. That, that's that was oh, eighteen eighty. <laughs> when nineteen eighty. And, and you used to hang out at Kozo's every once in a while, right? I was there all the time. I was all the time hanging out by the pool. Joey was there. Right. Uh, Mikey Switek was there. Uh, uh, Vince Solano was there. Uh, a lot of guys were there. Yeah. 
Now, I mean, folks, uh, the this, Petit brothers. All these people have passed on now. The Petit, yeah. Roy Petit, Larry Petit, uh, Louis Ebley came around. Well, a lot of those guys. This place he's talking about was uh, guys originally. The first guy was what Jimmy Cozo, uh, was an outfit guy, and he had like a compound right in the middle of what they called the Patch, which is a Grand and Ogden area. Just what you can see the buildings from downtown. It's it's almost walking distance to the Loop, I believe. Yes. And so these mob guys, they had a pool. They put up a brick wall all the way around it. And they have a flag with Italian flag flying up there and American flag too, of course. And, and these guys would all come over and party over there around the pool away from the prying eyes of the FBI. That's what the wall was about. It's a really cool looking place. I get it up on my YouTube pretty soon. They had a full bar. I mean, a real full bar for a bartender yeah. back there. Yeah. And, and they had, Lots of parties there. As a matter of fact, uh, once Jimmy um, had Gladys Knight and the Pips play on the oh, stage there. Wow. One of his kids <laughs> had a, a birthday or something like that. Yeah, man. That's a pretty good connection he had to get somebody like that coming by. Yeah, I, and I know he paid him, but but even to find out how to get him and who to pay and get him to come. Jimmy had everything connected. <laughs> That's what we're going to talk about today. So, folks. Uh, let me tell you what we're going to talk about. I, we're going to get some inside knowledge here about the Cook County court system and just how corrupt it was and who's involved. And because and Red has firsthand experience now. If you don't know about Red, Red had a, uh, I guess we would call that a porn shop in the uh, um, Chicago, down close to downtown. Was it around the patch? Where was your your porn shop. I was on Well Street, uh, 1345 Wells, okay. which is right uh, in between uh, Division and uh, it's over by Evergreen, Evergreen Street. It, okay. It's between 1345 is between, we're Orso, in between Orso's. I forgot the name of that street. Right. Uh, well, I think Schiller. Okay. So and it's, it's pretty close to the loop, I, I would assume. And, and yeah, right behind me was Clark Street. And okay. Street and State Street. You're in right in Rush. State, State and, yeah. All right. Uh, State and Lake. There's like kind of a famous intersection, State and Lake and down in the loop. So uh, he was in the middle of it. And of course, you got a porn shop in Chicago. They're going to shake you down. You're not going to get away without paying the outfit. And they started shaking him down. And, and I think they killed some other porn shop owners that wouldn't, uh, uh, wouldn't take it. And, and there was a particular guy, one of the baddest dudes up there, a guy named Frank Suisse or Frank the German, if you haven't heard of him. He, he was kind of a collector and, and he seemed to take a liking to Red, but Red got sick of this shit. He was not really part of it. And, and they're taking his money. So he goes, there's FBI agent running around here, if I remember the story right, flashing his, giving his card out to anybody that'll take it. And Red had one of his cards, and he said, he just called this guy and, and said, hey, you know, I'll work with you. And Red installed a camera, well, the FBI installed a camera and a microphone inside his TV set in his office, and Swiss would come by, the German, Frank the German would come by and just shoot the breeze with, with Red periodically. And there's some famous, or some of them on uh, Red's channel, I believe, aren't they? Don't you have some of those tapes on your channel? I had a, he called it the lost tapes. I, I found my copies, uh -huh. not the court copies. Uh -huh. These are these are ones that were never played in court. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> I found my copies and Adam tried to digitalize them. Yeah, all right. Yeah, so, so you can I think see he got more done. 
Yeah, you can see some of those out there on uh, Red's channel or, or Adam's channel. And, and My vlog. My vlog is his channel. Mob blog. That's right. Mob, B-L-O-G, mob blog. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I'm glad you said that. I, I couldn't remember. And so Red, just search for Red, R-A-D-W-E-M-E-T-T-T-E. -E -T -T -E. Uh, search for Red on Google. You'll find him. He's all over the, uh, the internet. He's easy to find. Um, so anyhow, Red got tired of this and he recorded all this and he ended up testifying and, and helped put uh, the German in jail, which is a pretty brave thing to do. He didn't have a case on him. He was basically a contract agent. The FBI will, will pay people to be like agents, but they, they're not sworn agents. They're, they're individuals who are in places that can, they can help them and they'll give you a contract, they'll pay and you're just like an agent and you're working undercover for the FBI. And so that's what he did. He wasn't an informant. He wasn't a cooperating witness until, you know, they surfaced him and, and, and he, and he, you know, he sacrificed his whole life to help bring these guys down. You even ended up testifying the family secrets trial. Is that correct? Yes, I did. Let me correct you on something, Gary. I started becoming a mole for the FBI. Right. In August of 1971. That was way before this. So I went in and asked for permission to open up the store before I even opened mm. it. I didn't I realize mean, that. Okay. That way I wouldn't have any problems with anything else. I see. And that was through Kurt Hansen. And uh, I think we got hooked up with Joey Lombardo. And then yeah. he hooked up with Marshall Catano. Okay. So you were, you were operating a store. And then all some collectors are, are, you know, they find other things for him to do, or I have problems with one or another one. And yeah. Frank, when Joey went to jail, when he went to prison on that uh, Pendorf, I believe it was, um, we had a meeting. And at that meeting, he turned around and he said uh, he was giving other people orders and everything else. And I was there. And uh, he looked at Frank and he said, you take care of that kid, no matter what he needs, you take care of him. <laughs> and Frank knew me for like 20 years. So yeah. no problem. He said, understood. Yeah. Let go. You did you had to pay him though, right? So much. I had to pay the outfit. It wasn't yeah, necessarily it. him, but well, I had problems with one of the collectors. Yeah. And he came to me and he said he, he wanted me to pay street tax on the uh Talia beef stand, which they call the hot dog stand. Yeah. And so he came to me. I finally got to him. I stopped paying the guy, period. I just wouldn't pay him. So Frank came in and uh, he told me, he said, well, he'll be opening up a hot dog stand in Alaska. <laughs> you won't be around anymore. You won't see him anymore. All you see is me. <laughs> yeah, it's good to be connected. And that's what we're going to talk about. Now, folks, there's a, there's another podcast out there that I'd recommend you take a look at. I always, I always help the other podcasters out and, and they'll help me out. A rising tide lifts all ships is what I say. And, I agree. And uh, uh, it's called uh, um, uh, Deep Cover Mobland. So I, uh, uh, I listened to a few of the advanced episodes and by the time this is released, it'll be out there. It's, it's about an attorney. It's an interview of an attorney who I talked to one day, tried to get him to come on the show and I couldn't, couldn't talk him into coming on the show. Uh, back then he was more interested in uh, selling the screen rights for his book, which he had sold the screen rights once and then nothing happened to it. And, and he was looking for another agent to, uh, to get a movie made out of his book when, when corruption was king. There's an attorney named Robert Cooley, Bob Cooley, 
Uh, he's kind of an interesting guy. He, he was his father was a sh Chicago cop. Uh, he was a Chicago cop when he was young. His brother was a Chicago cop. And, and as best I could find out, his dad was not uh, you know, a, a corrupt Chicago cop other than more your, any more your normal little corruptions any more than I ever was. You know, you take a free meal here and there and, and uh, maybe make a money run for somebody that you like. They need some money taken to the bank and you just stop by and run at the bank. Little things like that. Uh, all cops do that. But uh, in Chicago, like he said, when corruption was king, Chicago, uh, there was a lot more corruption, those little corruptions that we all participate in, a lot more than free meals by some cops. And, and his dad was not that, but he became a lawyer and he got in this Cook County criminal justice system. And, and it was, they said it was dirty from one end to the other. Everybody had their hands out. And, and so he, I don't know. So what do you remember about Bob Cooley? I know you knew, you didn't know him directly, but you knew a lot about him. What do you remember about him? Uh, he was a fixer. He was a fixer. That's all I do. I didn't know, I didn't know that he was connected with Rhodey or any of those guys downtown. I didn't know anything about that until it came out in the news, but I knew he was a fixer. Yeah. If you wanted to get something taken care of, you could get it taken care of. But then again, I had my own connections to get things taken care of through my guys at Grand and Ogden. So, um, what I used to do is uh, if I had a case coming up that was a misdemeanor case in J.J. Uh, O'Donnell's court, which is on LaSalle Street, I'd just call over and talk to the bailiff. And uh, I would actually send money with somebody else to the uh, bailiff. Yeah. And the bailiff would take it and it found its way to J.J.'s pocket. But J.J. was a notorious alcoholic. Yeah. If you caught him after his first call, his bailiffs used to say, you don't want to see him. You don't want to see him because he may change his mind. He may do something stupid. Yeah. Well, I tell you, those judges. The other, the other cases, the major cases, uh, even Schweiss did them, a couple of them. Um, if they happen on, um, and it was a, a, a big case, a murder trial or something like that, um, they would assign it. They'd waive their jury rights and it'd be assigned to another court and the judge could decide it'd be a bench trial. And that's what Cooley was famous for. Right. Right. And, and folks, this uh, Bob, Harry Ailman trial, right. There's Bob Cooley. I, you probably didn't know Harry Ailman. He was uh, from a different no, crew. I saw Harry, but I never knew him. Right. Well, Harry Ailman was, he was actually half Italian, uh, uh, but he was a cold, cold, stone cold hit man and collector for the outfit. Him and Frank were buddies. Yeah, they were, I bet. <laughs> oh, they worked together. Yeah. They didn't work together. They probably had done some some murders together or at least collaborated in some manner. Uh, so Harry Aleman killed a guy named Billy Logan, who was just a guy that, that wouldn't do what the outfit wanted. I believe he was like a Teamsters dispatcher or something. They wanted some information from him and, and he wouldn't do it. Uh, and so they set him up to kill him. And, and when they did that, uh, there was Harry Elliman did the murder. There was, he had a, a driver named uh, Louis Almedia and uh, he had a, a neighbor. Uh, Logan had a neighbor walking his dog up the street. 
just as Harry Edelman jumped out of the car, ran over and, and popped Billy Logan as he was walking out to go to work that night. And, and he saw him full face just for a second, just, you know, a few seconds, full face and Edelman jumped back in the car and they took off. You know, a few years later, uh, this uh, Louis Almedia catches another case somewhere and he gives up Harry Edelman. He's the, he's the driver <laughs> of Harry Edelman, watches the murder go down was in on the planning of it and, and what happened afterwards, he testifies to all this. They called Billy Logan in and he's been, you know, he, he's an eyewitness and can corroborate this uh, uh, informant's story, a cooperating witness's story, which is pretty important, but it's not crucial. Uh, but he can he can cooperate this and, and uh, you know, they give him, there are a lot of threats going down. He lays low and uh, he has a lot of problems with his wife because of all this, but he agrees to go through and, and to testify. So as Brad just described, uh, Bob Cooley had got the case put in a particular court, a judge named Wilson, I believe. Uh, judge Wilson, that was over on LaSalle Street. Right. And, and so he- The Cook County Criminal Courts building did, you know, where they had the jury trials. Yeah. It was moved to a- uh, judge that just sent the bench. Right. And and so he asked, Cooley said, I, you know, I don't really want a uh, jury trial. We want a bench trial, your honor, which every defendant has a right to do, which means you don't, you'd have the judge decide. And so then the judge listens to all this evidence and the judge can easily say, well, you know, I don't really believe this informant. And I don't really believe that this Logan guy I think something's wrong here and found him not guilty. Well, now not guilty, you got double jeopardy attaches once you've had a trial and, and he can never be tried on this again. So he thought he, he was, he walked away clean and, and, you know, Cooley, he'll, he paid off this judge and he didn't really, I think he like, didn't even give him as much as he promised to give him if I remember the story, right? <laughs> right. So uh, years later, Bob Cooley, well, he, he has an attack of conscience is what they say. Now, Red's heard a little bit of other information about this. Cooley was a huge gambler and uh, he owed a lot of money, I believe. I'm not sure, but what did you hear? He owed about? an awful lot of money. A lot of money. So Cooley ends up going into the FBI and saying, you know, I want to talk. And, and they put him back out wearing a wire for a while. He was the kind of guy that could go to what they called counselor's row was a rest, uh, yeah, restaurant bar right across the street from the uh, main courthouse downtown. And there That's was where we, al we always met there before a trial or something like that. We right. And so you've been in there. You, then there's many times, many one, times. One table. In 19, 1989, I was there for Schweiss's trial. Okay. And we, uh, Tom Knight was with me. He was the U.S. attorney, assistant U.S. attorney, was prosecuting. And we walked out and what, there was, uh, it was Oktoberfest. Yeah. And we walked around the corner from and uh, the Dirksen building. And we walked around the corner. We went in there and had a cup of coffee and, you know, just sit around and talk for a while. <laughs> Wasn't anybody in there at the we, time? We, even didn't though, know you know, was, we didn't know it was wired. <laughs> yeah, right. They had one table that was wired up. A busboy found that wire eventually. And... <laughs> exposed it. <laughs> There's a guy named Pat Marcy, who was a big fixer up there in the court system and in all Cook County government. And he would meet old court and meet people there. Wasn't he Pasquale? He had an Italian name. He right, changed right. It. He changed it kind of like uh, um, 
Richard Kane. He had he was an Italian too, and he changed his name to Peckerwood name. Adam did that. Yeah, yeah, we had a couple in Kansas City that did that. That you would, and most a lot of people don't know this. One family's real name is Cassiopo. Everybody knows him as Morgan. Uh, another was is Comisano, and everybody, a lot of people think their name is coming. So uh, that, that was pretty common. Uh, so Cooley is, he, he turns them on. They've, they've created a whole operation called Gambat, which is gambling attorney, because he had all these connections with all the bookies in Chicago, and they were all, and the outfit was, was extracting the street tax, and they were, they were, uh, you know, beating people up, you know, loan sharks fits into that. I mean, he was right in the middle of all of it. It was really a pretty valuable source for him for quite a while. And he took down a lot of people. Yeah. That, that operation ran for quite some time. And not only, he was into the bookies real bad. I mean, he, he borrowed money from loan sharks, bookies. He, he was yeah. into them real deep. But not only that, he used to go to Las Vegas. And he he take you know get a flight up to Las Vegas and take friends with him and spend a ton of money. Yeah, I mean, I can't even tell you how much he lost. <laughs> yeah, there's there's an interview with him on that one interview with him on YouTube, an older interview, and and I could tell he 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 likes to play the big time. He is the guy that is the big time guy and the toughest guy in the room. Nope. Yep. well dressed, well <laughs> yeah. very well dressed. Yeah. And, and he did say one interesting thing on that one interview. He talked about being in the room with a guy named Marco D'Amico, who was rising on up in the outfit. And, and the interviewer questioned him. He said, well, you know, you, you claim you were in the room with him and, and uh, you know, and, and you stood up to him. You know, what about that? He said, people say that you wouldn't dare do that. And he said, yeah, I don't care. He said, I was, you know, I played football. I'm a, I'm a tough guy. I'm known as a tough guy. I grew up in a tough neighborhood. He's, and he's probably right because that nobody's going to, you know, you're not going to start a physical fight with a, you know, mob boss and a lawyer like that. They're not going to have a physical fight. He's, and he, and he, he had one thing. He said, the guy didn't know I even know I was coming to the joint that day. So he wasn't like prepared for it now. Uh, you know, you can do that, but about a week or two later, you better start watching your back and seeing who's behind you. It's, it's not that really. I had the same situation with Schweiss. I mean, he yeah. was a stone killer, but he had no reason to bother me. Yeah. So he's not going to bother me. He's not going to hurt me. And if something did go wrong, it would be right there. He'd get yeah. up and walk out to it later. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you could have bucked up to him, you know, in any kind of an argument. And argued like hell yeah, with I him. I screamed at him a couple of times. Right. I, I have tapes where I actually, <laughs> I was cussing at him, telling him, what are you, nuts? You know? And he used to look at me and just let, calm down, Red, calm down. <laughs> He'd laugh. He thought it was funny. Yeah. I got that on tape. <laughs> yeah. So, see, those are the in kind of inside stories that, that I really like to hear what that interaction between people w w was like, because it's not what you see on TV. It's not always life and death. They're just human beings. These mob guys are just human beings. And, and, and now they have or human beings. They'll try to set you up later on down the road. They'll sneak on you, but face to face, you know, they're no different than anybody, any other person. Well, that's one of the things I looked at with Schweiss. You know, I looked at his track record, yeah, all of his yeah. partners that were partners with him in something. And he wanted to be partners with me with all the porn across the United States. Right. All of his partners had accidents, yeah. seven shots in the head, one leg, <laughs> seven on the head, right? They all had accidents, Yeah, every yeah. one of them. And so I looked at it and said, 
Okay. Thank God this is on tape because <laughs> he's going, we got him for the Hobbs Act. We couldn't get him for the murders that he talked about. Yeah. He talked about many murders that he did. Yeah. But we got him for the Hobbs Act. Yeah. And the Hobbs and Act, what is the Hobbs Act? Extortion. Extortion. It's like um, uh, unfair trade in a way. <laughs> but it's organized crime connections. So right, it's racketeering right. and extortion together. Right. So the judge gave him like 12 and a half years. But he, in his particular case, he had never been denied bond. So when he got out, he used to murder the people, the <laughs> yeah. witnesses or whatever. They just disappeared, you know? Yeah. So he was kind of a little bit upset when I, when I got, when I got him, that was it. <laughs> so that uh, Cook County uh, criminal justice system that, that uh, Bob Cooley was an integral part of and part of the, the corruption of it. How well known was that on the street? I mean, just like everybody know that. Well, a lot of the cops that I knew from my district, 18th district, mm -hmm. um, Bobby Cigaretti and other guys, Bill Wallace and other people, they said that they went into court in different courtrooms and judges I knew. And I, I had tongue in cheek when they were telling me, but they said they went in there and they knew they had their man. They knew he was guilty. They knew everything was wrong. Right. Right. But the judge would wind up chewing them out like they were criminals. <laughs> and so it was kind of known on the street, but not to the people that lived in neighborhoods, pocket neighborhoods in Chicago. Okay. The only thing they read was the news. Yeah. So, so they really have a direct experience. A lot of people never even been into a courthouse, into a courtroom. I know in, like in Kansas City in, in uh, practice law, like I said, over the last 20 years, you go into those, those intermediate courts, uh, you know, the, so what we call the associate circuit court here, where a, a lot of cases start, even the murders and everything start in associate circuit court sometimes. And, and so there's these lawyers that hang out in the hallways that always mm -hmm. are trying to, you know, work a quick deal. And so describe one of the, the hallway and the courtrooms and everything in Cook County Court. Was it chaotic, like I've led to believe? And well, during Gambit, it was they got a lot of people. They got police officers, they yeah, got judges, yeah. they got they got everybody, mob guys, they got you name it, they got them. But one particular one was in traffic court. And there was this guy in traffic court, and my lawyer that I always use for traffic tickets, mm -hmm. his name was Mel Cantor. Mm -hmm. And Mel just guaranteed a fix. No matter what happened, you gave, you give yeah. the ticket, go into court. It's going to get thrown out. Yeah. They see Mel walking up there when the judge says, that's it. No matter who the client is, they don't care who the client is. It's the lawyer. Yeah. So there's this guy in the hallway and a stairwell. And he used to take the money. And when they arrested him on the day that they arrested him, there was like two, $300,000 in small bills on him. And there was no way he flipped, he rolled, yeah. but there was no way he could walk out of the situation. But that's what happened. The lawyers would go off to the side and say, here, then they come to people like me. And I was kind of well-known. So he didn't ask me for, give me the cash. You know, I got to have the cash. Right away. Yeah. My credit yeah. was good. Okay. If I told him I needed to take care of, it was taken care of. And then I'd pay him later. So that's kind of how it worked. The hallways were kind of crazy. And the minute you came in where Mel was down by what they call it, the corporation council, it was down by the corporation council. And uh, there was like 15, 20 lawyers standing there ready to grab you. You know, can I, can I do your case? Can I do, it's going to cost you X amount of dollars, whatever. And people that weren't on the know that really didn't know about it. 
And he'd say, you mean you can make this go away? <laughs> and he'd say, yeah, you know, give me, another, you know, if you give me the right money. Now, those people that, that he didn't even know, they'd catch on the fly or anybody. There's like maybe 10 lawyers down there. But those guys, they took money right on the spot. I mean, they had to get it right then because yeah. they didn't know the people. Now, some some people knew the judges and some of them just knew the bailiffs and the bailiff would then pass it on. Uh, how, how did that? I think you indicated that you had one bailiff that you eventually could just pay. How did that? Work? Right. That was J.J. O'Donnell's. Uh, <laughs> he's a very famous judge. Uh, he was almost indicted one time. Uh, he was um, in my ward or my my district in Chicago. He lived right behind me in Sandberg Village. And uh, he used to drink quite a bit. I mean, he was a very heavy drinker. But uh, one time he came out, or the police arrested him. And uh, a judge, they arrested a judge. <laughs> Must have been and bad. I'll, I'll never forget Walter Jacobson. He was on the news. And they called it the case of the deadly cigar. Somebody had parked in his parking space out in back in the evening. And he came out with a pistol. And he threatened him with the pistol, right? Yeah. Well, later on, he gets up and said, it was my cigar. I was holding my cigar all the time. Nobody <laughs> ever searched for a gun because he was a judge. <laughs> but JJ used to drink real heavy. I never actually had any contact with JJ. I wanted to stay away from him because he was like a wild card. He yeah. drank too. But uh, I used to do business with his bailiff. And his bailiff knew me and JJ knew who I was, but he wasn't that particular interested in seeing me anyway. So I'd send people there for like a, a pornography pinch. If they didn't get a pinch at the store for um, obscene material, they would go before JJ. And when they went before JJ, I'd call up or if the vice unit called me up on the phone and said, we haven't gotten you in maybe two years now. You know, it's time we, you know, you've got to give us somebody. So I'd tell them the shift to use and everything else. And they'd always toss the case and um, they give them like one year supervision, you know, something like yeah. that, where yeah. it would go away in one year. And I'd give them a hundred bucks or something like that. Yeah. Uh, interesting. So that, uh, that brings up a kind of another question because you just talked about the, the porn business. I've been watching a, a thing called the deuce about the porn business in uh, Times Square back in the seventies, which and so you, you see a lot of that. And Teddy Rostein. That was Teddy Rostein. Was it? Yeah. And so they, like in Kansas City, for example, we we would just do sweeps. They just go out and sweep up a lot of gay men from a place or just, or prostitutes on the street, just pick them up, take them down, book them for some kind of a bullshit charge. And, and then they'd all go into, into court and, and like you say, pay like a hundred bucks or something. And, and Disorderly I, conduct, whatever it was. Right. The catch-all. They did the same thing in Chicago. That was regularly done, but they had a vice unit over on Maxwell Street that all they did was focus on pornography. Okay. And all the other stores, they went down their list. Was, I, that's what I was just telling you. And they were hitting all the other stores. Okay. Well, those guys rotate and everything else. They get promoted. You know how it goes. Yeah. You were on the job. Yeah. So yeah. what happens is, is I get this call one time and it was, I used to get hit like once a year and all these other were people who get hit every other day, you know, they're getting hit all the time. And so this guy calls me up on, he calls me at home and he says to me, Hey, Red, you know, it's been a long time. You know, we gotta, we gotta do something about this. And I said, okay. 
And that's how it was. Yeah. So we actually had the actual districts doing their raids. And then we had the vice control division doing their raids. Okay. So uh, I was lucky though, because they knew me well enough where I'd pay to the point where they call me up ahead of time and say, okay, who do you want to be arrested? They never arrested me ever. And so your connection with the outfit didn't really stop all that, but it, is that what kind of kept them away from me for a while? Well, the outfit was paying them money. Okay. They were paying them money. They, so they, they knew I was connected. I, is, right. If you're connected, they don't want to really mess with you too bad. Okay. I mean, they don't want to really lay it on you real hard. Yeah. All right. But, but every so once in a while after me personally, yeah. nobody ever after Mike Galitta, they went after him personally. Yeah. They used to go after him personally. Now, uh, Bob Cooley, we'll, we'll go one last story about Bob Cooley. And you mentioned you might know this guy. There's a lawyer uh, named Ed Jensen in, in yes, Chicago yeah. who was really well known in the criminal courts. And, and Cooley Jenner and Block. Jenner and Block. Oh, he was with Jenner and Block, really? Yeah. Oh, so, that's where the name came. Eddie Jensen, Jenner and Block. Yeah. Oh, I see. <laughs> so what, what do you remember about him? Cooley talked a lot of stuff about him in that one interview. Profile. A very high-profile attorney, very good. Um, most of the mob guys used him. Yeah, I mean anybody, any anything that was a high-profile case, he would take. Okay, for big bucks. Yeah, right. I, mean, bucks. I, I guess Cooley was more your down and dirty kind of guy that would uh, would handle the cash directly himself and and directly go to bailiffs and judges and and fix cases. This guy, this guy was on a little different level. He, Eddie? yeah. I don't know anything personally that yeah. Eddie did. I do know he uh, he pulled a lot of cases off though that I looked at and I said, I thought that was a slam dunk, you know? Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. It didn't go that way. Yeah, and, and I don't think he ever got charged with anything. That's what one thing no, Cooley talked. He still practiced law when I left and last time they, I because yeah, they had a they had op, Operation Gambat, which was mainly Cooley's direct experience with the court. Then they had Operation Greylord after that, in which all they did was go after attorneys and uh, bailiffs and policemen, which was right after Gambit. They were about the same time period. Were they? Okay. Kind of one, one was developed. Greylord was developed from Gambit. Okay. That, that I knew there was some connection, which Greylord, there's a book out there about Operation Greylord. There's an FBI agent who, who actually was an attorney at the time named Ed Hake. And, and he started practicing law and started, you know, fixing cases for people. It was, I tell you what, from a lawyer's standpoint, that's a, that's a really dicey road to go down to try to work both sides and actually practice law because you're violating all the ethical uh, uh, rules and regulations of being a lawyer. You're not going to be able to practice law after that's over. Now, he was already an FBI agent, so he didn't worry about practicing law. Uh, but <laughs> definitely you just couldn't, you just can't do that. You cannot work both sides as a real lawyer. Well, some people did. Some people did, you know, there were a few people that did and they got burned. Yeah. They got burned at the end. No, Bob yeah. Cooley, he escaped getting burned. <laughs> by what he did. Uh, I believe you said he went in and talked to some FBI agents. I was to understand that he went in from the guys I talked to at the U S attorney's office that he went in as an attorney oh, and yeah. talked to 
strike force. Yeah. He went directly to strike force. Right. I, I misspoke on you're you're right, Red. I misspoke on that. You're right. He did go right to the strike to force. To an agent or something yeah, like that. Right. He went right in there. Yeah. No, but he knew he had a, problems with the IRS and he was going to be <laughs> indicted. Yeah. So <laughs> it was a matter of I can help you. Can you make my problems go away? Yeah, well, that's how it works, isn't it? <laughs> so Tom Rarity told me. He was doing the case on him at the time. Yeah. He was IRS CID. Yeah. So I yeah, knew Tom but... way back in 1974. I met Tom. Yeah, all your all your troubles go away. Even even if you do only volunteer, if you got some other troubles out there, they all go away when you do something like what he did. Well, in a way, it's kind of a good thing. I mean, I've heard people, especially with Family Secrets, I heard people complain about Nick Calabrese only getting a short sentence yeah. for all the murders he committed. But Judge Zagel said it right. Without him coming forward and standing up there, even though he is a murderer, yeah. if they didn't give him some kind of incentive, yeah. they wouldn't have to. cooperating witnesses. Yeah, yeah, you got to. There's, I mean, it's, it's a deal with the devil. There's no doubt about it. I mean, look at... at uh, uh, we'll end with this. Look at uh, uh, Michael Francese and and uh, more more importantly, Sammy the Bull Gravano. Sammy the Bull is making more money than he's ever made with that YouTube channel, his podcast. I mean, that guy's doing good. I wish I could get downloads like that. <laughs> well, he his studio and everything, uh, Gary. He spends like twenty thousand a he, show. He's got to spend money on each show. You're right. It is highly produced, so he's not doing all like like me and you. I just do my own. <laughs> and, uh, uh, it's like me. I'm just here. In my I'm home. just here. Yeah. <laughs> and to the uh, body of knowledge about, uh, uh, you know, our history, you know, our shared history in, in the United States. And, and any way you cut it, the mob, the outfit, the mafia, La Cosa Nostra is part of our shared history in the United States and how this country developed. I mean, it's just it's part of it. So we're we're main, we're, we're adding to that knowledge of that history. Because, you know, if you forget history, you'll start repeating stuff again. So you need to need to keep the word out there. This is what can happen. And this right here, you know, we really don't want our criminal justice system or our judicial system to be corrupt, to have somebody to be able to go in there and do what, fix it and do whatever they want. And people really don't want that unless, you know, if you're that one guy, you know, that, that gets the benefit, but people really don't want that. It's, it really starts with politicians. Yeah. Because the politicians, they appoint judges, they appoint different bailiffs. Uh, it's it's all the way along the way. It goes. It's it's not a trickle down effect. It's a trickle up effect. If you got money to give somebody, yeah. there's always somebody to take it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And so you got to have somebody out there to watch. The, the corruption starts at the bottom. It does start at the top. Yeah. There's always somebody who wants to handle money, and they oh, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. All right, Rand. Well, thanks a lot for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, we will uh, get this edited and, and get you a copy of it. And I will I will keep a copy of it. We can just put it up, do whatever you want with it. How about that? That's good. I'll put it up for you, Gary. All right. Get it out there. All right, Red. Good talking to you. Have a great day. God All bless right. you. You too. Bye.